The Spin-Off Podcast Network. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by SparkLab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about SparkLab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. You're listening to Business Is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business Is Boring is made by The Spin-Off with help from Callaghan Innovation, New Zealand's innovation agency. Here's your host, Simon Powell. Meat is pretty problematic. For a start, it takes heaps of resources to make. Between land and water for the animals, more land to grow feed, rainforest cleared for pasture or for palm kernel, greenhouse gas emissions, antibiotics in massive quantities, and the matter of all the nitrates and effluent into the waterways, there are a lot of externalities that we collectively carry to produce a hamburger. And that's before you spend too much time thinking of the ethical side of things. It doesn't bear too much thinking about, really. But people love meat, the taste, the smell, the whole bit. With billions of people in the world to feed, and a growing middle class in the most populous countries eating more meat, there's never been more getting made. But it doesn't have to be this way. What if there was a food that was as rewarding to the pleasure senses as meat, made of the same constituent ingredients, pretty much the same ratios of fat, protein and minerals, the same texture, taste and performance? There are moves around the world to deliver on that dream, with a lot of interest in the beef replacement area. You might have heard of the Impossible Burger, or Beyond Beef, or billionaire-funded lab-grown options. But for the everyday choice, the thing that's going to replace your go-to protein and home cooking, there is a local option that's attracted global interest, investment and attention. Sunfed Meats has made a huge impact in a short time. Using pea protein to make a chicken replacement that functions in pretty much the same way and feel as chicken in your chicken fettuccine or tikka masala. Because it is similar, thanks to a lot of science and research and work. Since starting, they've got global leaders investing in them, had to build out the infrastructure, have had sold out runs, got into our biggest food retailers, and they've only just begun. With plans to move past chicken into other non-meat meats and an R&D-led approach that works, it's already possible for us to get protein that's better for our environment, ethics and country. Sharma Lee, the CEO and founder, and one of the guests I've most hoped to get the chance to chat to on this podcast, joins us to chat the journey and what's next. G'day, thanks so much for coming along. Uh, really great to be here, Simon. Hey, so tell us, how did you get involved in the alternative protein space? It was quite a kind of career change, wasn't it? Uh, yes, it was. Uh, so my background is software engineering. That's what I've done for most of my life. I uh, had a bit of an existential crisis. <laughs> um Achieved everything you you think you want in life, you know, check, check, check. Um, but was feeling really unfulfilled. Uh, and uh, out of that unfulfillment, I kind of went through a personal journey of self-introspection. 
And out of that, eventually Sunfed was born. So it was a very conscious uh, decision to use my, my limited time on this planet uh, to do something that I felt would leave the world better than I found it. What kind of stuff were you doing in software development? Uh, so uh, my main role was software architecture and software programming. Um, so I kind of think of things uh, based on that experience as systems. So when I think of alternative protein, I actually think of it as an alternative energy system. And I actually think it's really important to think of it like an energy problem. So food is just another form of energy that we consume on this planet. And just like there are sustainable and non-sustainable forms of other energy, such as oil, coal and solar, so is the case with food. And meat has become one of the most unsustainable forms of food energy on this planet. Mm. Um, as that meat system grows, the outcome is worse for the planet and other life on it, which pretty much means that as it scales, it's uh, killing its host. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And, and is this something that you had kind of uh, been feeling kind of privately while um, on the journey towards starting the company? And what was it about the kind of like food space? Uh, was it obvious to you that that was where you wanted to make your impact? Uh, well, I guess I eat food. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, it was a personal journey. So while I was still a software uh, sort of programmer, um, I kind of went through a personal journey of breaking up with meat, I guess. A very avid meat eater. Um, grew up eating a lot of meat. Uh, so it was part and parcel of sort of what I knew. But I had never really consciously looked at it until sort of in my 20s. And then as I understood more and more of what it took to make that meat and the animal the meat came from. Um, yeah, I went through the sort of typical journey, I guess, others go through as, you're, as you become more and more conscious. So went from a big meat eater to just free range and then to pescatarian and then to vegetarian and then to vegan. Mm. Uh, so uh, that personal journey later on informed me with Sunfed because uh, it wasn't a clear-cut journey. I was quite ignorant at that time on the different types of food available. So kind of struggled with my transition. And it was very clear to me there was a big gap for people like me who like the taste and texture of meat. Uh, but there was really no choice to swap to. The existing meat alternatives I felt were subpar in both the quality of the meatiness, but also the dirty ingredient decks they had. There's just too much stuff in it. Um, and so, yeah, because I'm a big clean eater as well. So all of that personal journey really informed me with Sunfed. Yeah, because when you look at meat production, yeah. it's especially if you come from like a software uh, background or some kind of um, technical engineering mindset, it's remarkably inefficient. Like the amount <laughs> of resource and energy and uh, space and time and water and everything that goes into making uh, what's in the end a very small uh, yeah. amount of material to be consumed. Yes, that's right. Uh, and actually, it's not just inefficient. It's actually highly risky. And so what's happening is the demand for meat, like you said earlier, is just increasing. Mm -hmm. it's, 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 keep, it's keeping on increasing. And this has put a lot of pressure on the legacy meat system. And the only solution they have to meet the demand is pretty much intensification of operations to achieve greater economies of scale. So in other words, to grow more and more animals, bigger, fatter, faster in smaller and smaller spaces. Mm -hmm. 
Now, and the more they do that, the worse the risk gets, uh, which is inherent in that system. It exacerbates that risk. And these risks are, like you mentioned in the beginning as well, food safety risks, you know, salmonella, E. coli, uh, public health risks, the antibiotic usage is one, um, avian flu disease outbreaks is another, um, environmental damage, the externalities it causes. I mean, uh, we are seeing it here with our rivers I and mean, just numerous other risks that the system brings to us. Uh, so basically, the bigger the system gets, the worse the risk gets. It is unsustainable. And so we need to diversify ourselves away from it into a system that can scale, but without those risks. Mm. That's quite important. And the thing that you settled on through the journey uh, as the first one to release the first alternative meat, um, chicken, makes a lot of sense because there's a lot of chicken that's eaten uh, and I think you know a lot of meat in general is eaten in a very non-kind of purposeful manner. People sure. just kind of, um, you know, people are just used to what they do. They're used to just having meat as the major kind of component of the meal and it's, you know, you apply some heat to it and it's cooked and it's easy. And chicken's that thing that so often... Um, you know, uh, flavoured over and it's just kind of like a protein source within it, but it's not kind of the hero of a dish that often. Uh, and, and, and yeah, like this, it seems kind of um, bananas that there haven't been more moves earlier to produce something that's not a purposeful eating thing in more, um, yeah, ethical and sustainable ways. Yeah, chicken is actually the most consumed meat in the Western market. It's the fastest growing meat in the world. It is the staple protein currently of the world. Um, and it's actually a difficult meat to make. So uh, for us to go first do chicken was quite a bold thing. And the reason for it is we didn't go to market with a patty or a reconstituted um, you know, uh, patty. We went to market with a piece of fleshy meat with mm. very long fibers like chicken is. Um, and when you look at the consumers who buy chicken, they're looking for something that is versatile, convenient. Uh, chicken is perceived healthier than other meats. And it's also the cheapest meat. Um, and uh, yeah, so we wanted to make something for the consumer that would be a real choice to chicken. So they could buy it, use it exactly like chicken in the chicken recipes, but it'll be better for you. It's better for you in health. It's got, we hope, a better taste and texture, which is what we aim for. Um, and over time, as we scale, we hope to bring the price down as well. So how did you do that? How did you go from that kind of um, wake-up moment, which is like, I want to spend my time here better, uh, to then tackling what, you, you know, like if it was a trivial problem, there'd be a lot of chicken alternatives out there already. How, <laughs> yeah. how, how do you go about doing that? Ooh, um, well, I think hindsight you know, can help make sense of it. But at the time, it was just sort of a process I was going through, really. I mean, so uh, basically what I did was I read everything I could get my hands on, on the existing technologies available, whereby you could make meat without the animal. And then I kind of resonated with a particular tech that I went, well, that's sort of feasible. It needs a quite a bit of R&D. But from everything I've seen, um, you know, that's probably the one I can sort of uh, try now, because... There was certain machinery and stuff that I needed that I could kind of get my hands on and other stuff I could build. What, what were the options you're looking at? So, so there's like, you know, um, test tube or Petri dish grown meat. And then there's, you know, what, what are the kind of, what were you um, choosing from? Yeah, there's, there's a whole different variety. But yes, like you said, I mean, there's, uh, you can take plant proteins 
and realign them in sort of the similar structural formation as meat. This, that's one way to do it. Um, the other way is, yes, to grow uh, meat cells directly um, from sort of stem cells. And so that's a completely different way. So that, that pretty much keeps the animal proteins out of things, whereas this one you kind of transition to plant proteins, which in many ways probably better for the human body. But that stem cell uh, that's cultured meat, the science is still quite a, quite far away from being fully commercialized. No doubt it will be in the future. But uh, I did look at that quite a bit and a whole bunch of other options. And I wanted to do something then. I wanted to sink my teeth into something then and, and see if I could do it. Now, the, it was a hard problem because we were trying to do things very differently. So as I was saying earlier, not a fan of the existing meat alternatives on the market. It didn't quite work for me. And I felt there was a big stigma and barrier um, you know, I wanted to make something that was actually useful in a solution. And so we wanted to move away from soy and gluten. Mm. We want to try pea protein. It's non-allergenic and, um, and it has a whole bunch of other benefits with the pulses. And we, but importantly, we wanted to get the texture right. Uh, that's the hard problem to solve. It hasn't been done to date. Mm. Uh, and, and how do you do it? Um, and so, uh, yeah, pretty much... Through sheer will and uh, finding opportun- disparate opportunities and pulling them together, um, we got, you know, I got something going. And, um, but it was sort of pure R&D. Like we were trying out plant proteins that had never been tried before. I was flying them all in, trying them out. And then we, were, we had to build our own hardware out of necessity because nothing existed. There's no plug and play for this. No, um, and, and what does that what does that involve? So you know, you <laughs> you, you um, corral some um, food scientists who are interested in doing something um, revolutionary, and then you get some engineers who are keen to kind of like, yeah. What, well, what you have kind to, of a mission is it? You have to get people with the right mindset. Yeah. Uh, so um, I was obviously quite involved in the R and D. Um, my husband Hayden uh, also really really involved, and he's a bit of an engineer and a tinkerer. Um, yes, we've got um, an excellent, amazing engineer who who we got right from the get-go, um, which is pretty cool. And yes, we had um, a food scientist, but we consider ourselves engineers. Uh, and so because, um, you know, Hayden as well, uh, we both come from a very strong software engineering, a digital background. We know that change is the only constant, so we're quite comfortable with that. And we didn't realize until later that that's not actually a culture established in food. Um, and so we knew we could iterate really quickly. Now we hit some barriers um, and I had to learn and was very humbled by hardware. So coming from software, I was a little bit spoiled. Um, and so it was a great learning curve. So software is actually quite easy. And what I mean by that is all you need is a laptop and coffee and you can get developers from any part of the globe and you can plug into the virtual infrastructure set up by Microsoft, Google, Amazon, etc. and you're away, right? Mm -hmm. And And, and then if it takes off, it can scale however big it wants to go because of that infrastructure. Yeah, Exactly right. Um, And so it's, 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 it's less capital intensive to get going, which is the beauty of it. Um, hardware from the get-go needs capital. Mm. 
So all of a sudden, as a startup, you need a lot of capital right from the beginning when you don't even have a product. And, and you had a clear goal, didn't you, which was um, try and, with the pea proteins, mm. um, manipulate them in a way that it meant that you got the same texture yes. as meat. So you were looking for the same kind of um, structure as, as, as proteins uh, have in meat. And so was it simply a matter of kind of going, well, we know we want to get there. Let's just find a way. Pretty much. So, yes, I've had a very clear vision of um, what we wanted and we didn't want to compromise on that. So texture was very high on the list. Um, and pretty much, you know, the, most of the people on my team have a meat palate. And that was really important to us because um, we, we were making this for the flexitarian market. We're making yeah, this yeah. for the meat consumer. And secondly, I was really big on a very clean deck. I wanted minimal ingredients. Um but generally what happens in food is they kind of go backwards. They go, I want that, I want this, I want that sort of texture, I want this color, and they add stuff to it. And all of a sudden you get a bloated ingredient deck with 20 plus ingredients um, and kind of lose the integrity of the food, I feel. So I wanted to keep it really clean. Pea protein was there and a couple of other things. Um, so peas and pumpkin were really sort of my goal. Um, but And we found that the only way to do that for us was to build our own hardware. So we did it with hardware and water-based uh, sort of tech. It's a very clean, clean tech. Uh, but yeah, so because we had the goal, we didn't know exactly how we'd get there. Uh, but it was a matter of iterating, learning quite quickly and getting there. Uh, with hardware, you, you know, it takes machining time, it takes build time. So by the time you design and test something, uh, some time goes by and then it might not work. Yeah. You learn something, yeah. but so it was... It was <laughs> iterating hardware is, yeah. very, is very different than iterating software. And, oh, hell yeah. And so, so along this way on the journey, you yeah. started to kind of, I imagine... Um, find big needs for capital. And yes. What, 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 what does that involve? Because quite early on, no, from an outside observer's perspective, yeah. it seemed that quite early on you managed to attract some amazing kind of backers uh, in the space. But I imagine having left a really successful career, yeah. started a business um, with no uh, no guarantee of success at all, doing something wildly ambitious, investing in hardware. You know, did you did you soon find yourself um, qu- quite committed? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so my first investor was my husband. Mm-hmm. And, and we drew down from our mortgage to fund the first R&D, which is quite significant for us. And uh, I had quit my job by then to focus on this fully. So he was the sole income earner. Um, yeah, and... Uh, through that R&D, over that whole process, we had this big breakthrough with, with our chicken product. On the back of that breakthrough, I attracted US, UK investors. So I, I had a product by the time, and um, I had a pretty strong IP portfolio by then, and very unique. So, And, and is that... Is that- Patent protected is that kind of is that how it operates in this space? Yeah, we do have a patent. Um, we also protected by trade secrets as well, um, uh, the hardware designs and mm-hmm. things like that. But yeah, so by that time, the opportunity was that this company has developed a, an IP portfolio that allows them to produce a product that is world first mm-hmm. and a meaty texture that's unrivaled. So it's a pretty significant opportunity for investors who know of this space. And at that time, they were all overseas investors who were actively out. So this is back in, you know, 
three years now. Three, so, three yeah, years. yeah. And the space, you know, what what we're talking about there is like there there are um, the alternative meats. So there's you know your your soy textured things. There's yeah. um, to- tofu is probably a very famous one. Yeah. There are fake meats on the market. There's yeah. also bean kind of based things that try and do the burger thing, but. All of those ones I've just mentioned, they're not trying to replicate meat, are they? They're they're a, a substitution, not actually trying to be the same thing, which is the really interesting thing here. Like if you have something that's got the same um, qualities as meat, how is it not meat? Yeah. Well, that's right. I mean, ultimately, it depends on what you're trying to do. So I think those companies are very happy. They've got a market, which is predominantly sort of vegans and vegetarians. Um, they sell at really high premium prices, and sort of that's, that's their game. Um, they're not trying to sell to the meat eater. They're not trying to sell to the mainstream consumer. Mm. Um, so our goal from the get-go is we want to bring about a significant shift in protein consumption. To do that, you have to go after the mainstream um, and offer them a choice. So it all comes down to that choice. Does a meat eater consider sun-fed chicken a choice to animal chicken? If they don't, it doesn't work. If they do, then at that, all of a sudden they're moving from an unconscious, I always buy chicken, to, oh, I've got two choices in front of me. And they start thinking about it. And in that decision-making process, there's magic, right? That's when things shift. Um, and But to do that, uh, you it has to, uh, the texture has to match. Um, and I think very strongly the health and nutrition has to match. But we didn't do that just to match it. I mean, that's a core principle of SunFed. We want to make food that's clean, that's minimalist, uh, but that tastes bloody good, mm. you know, and, and meat tastes fucking delicious, right? Mm. So, so yeah, you, you, you have to, uh, for something to work, you have to create a product that is equal to or better than the status quo. And did you sell these first investors, um, the people who were you know you know big names in um, the space internationally? Did you sell them on a kind of like a Tesla vision, which is <laughs> like we'll start by selling it, um, you know, at the premium price point that we have to because we won't have enormous scale to the kind of you know wealthy interested people, and then as we build scale, it'll eventually be. Um, you, you know, cheaper than chicken on the supermarket shelves and everyone will buy it. Is that the kind of, you know, the, the vision? Yeah, I mean, just on that price point, the price point is currently perceived as premium, uh, but Sunfed chicken does offer bigger bang for buck. So it does have double the protein of chicken. So when you eat it, you actually feel fuller, faster. You get quite satiated. Um, and obviously there's a whole bunch of other health benefits. But yes, uh, just quickly on that point, sorry, just to elaborate, The key issue with the current food system is that there's just too much empty calories. And so you keep on eating because your body just doesn't feel full. So we were quite conscious of that. We wanted to make a nutrient-dense proper food product, nice, good, clean food food product that is highly bioavailable to your body. So you eat sun-fed with a small portion, you feel really full, you're energized, and you can go be your best. Um, So in that sense, we don't feel like the price point is as bad. Um, It's pretty good, we think. But yes... The vision is uh, we want to disrupt. To disrupt, you need to do two things in any industry and it'll work. You need to have a better product than the status quo and you need it to be cheaper. Mm. Now, for it to be cheaper, you need huge economies of scale, especially for something like meat. People don't realize how massive the economies of scale in that industry are. Um, and in fact, there's so much consolidations happening with mergers and acquisitions that now there's only a handful of big players 
uh, and like I was saying earlier, they're being uh, pressured to uh, merge and consolidate because that's the only way to get the economies of scale to meet the growing demand. Yeah. So it's a it's a circle, right? It's a catch twenty two, and and much more so internationally than here, even like in New Zealand. Uh, you know, we may all um, have have quite positive views of um, industrialized farming because here it's still done with grass. It's still you, you know like there's still there's still elements that are recognisable to traditional farming. But internationally, you travel through America or England and you're in places where it's too cold or too dry for, for animals to live in. They're living in great big sheds and metre by metre squares. It's ridiculous. Yeah, for, he, for here, for beef, um, sure. But we still factory farm our chickens. Yeah, the majority yeah, yeah. of our chickens are factory farmed. I mean, uh, these birds are grown in barns where they never see sunlight and they're killed in five to six weeks. So they're genetically a bread to grow really big, really fast. I mean, they're just chicks, but they have these mammoth bodies uh, which, which their feet cannot support the weight. Um, so, you know, if you talk about frankenmeat, mm. to me, that's, that's not natural. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think here as well, we just haven't quite paid attention to it because... <laughs> We've been because there's been no choice. So we've been. I think we work very hard to not pay attention to it. I think we all kind of put our fingers in our ears and go na la 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 la. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think um, if anyone actually understands how you get your meat or actually experiences it, like goes to a slaughterhouse, they'll never probably buy it again. Yeah. Yeah. And and so into this environment to mm. have an alternative. Um, yeah. The, the, the investors were like, wow, he, he, you know, this is actually an interesting texture. It's really similar to meat. Um, we'd like to support you. Um, and so then you found yourself back in New Zealand without the plant, with, <laughs> with some backing, with a really interesting product. How do you go about turning that into a um, fast-moving consumer good, a, a product in the supermarket? Yes. Um, so, yes, yeah, so we actually raised uh, $1.5 million seed funding pre-revenue. Um, and yes, without a production plant. Uh, so that's, 1.5 that's, million doesn't sound like much when you haven't got a production not plant. Not at all. Yeah, not when you're dealing with infrastructure or hardware. Uh, and, and at that time, you know, you have an R&D product. You now have to transform that into a uh, production line. Very, very difficult. You know, it's one thing to do something, you know, just once and twice and sort of it's another to standardize that and do it continuously. So massive, massive challenge, especially when there's no one to learn from. We just have to you know, forge the way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and that's so interesting. Like, there's no one doing what you're doing. And no. so it's not even like, um, you know, to, to speak to Tesla again, it's not even like Tesla <laughs> who are trying to do a, a automated um, production plant for automobiles, which is very standard. <laughs> you, you know, so so you're, you're, you're actually kind of working out the systems yes. as well as the hardware. Correct. We're, we're actually setting up the infrastructure because it doesn't exist. Uh, so we're building up from scratch pretty much. So, yeah, it was a, it was a really big challenge. And, um, uh, you know, I had quite a lot of fears, like, oh, the money's going to run out, you know. Um, but no, you just you just kind of got to do it. It was a, like with investors, by the way. Um, so, yeah, one thing is the opportunity um, that I had to sell them on. But the second thing at that time, you have a startup that is trying to disrupt with something brand new and they're pre-revenue, and they don't currently have infrastructure. So what they look for at that stage is the founder. 
Now, does this person have the grit and perseverance to keep going when things will go wrong? Because they will definitely go wrong. Will they get back up? What is their vision? You know, is it a small vision or is it something really big? Like all of those things ultimately is a big part on the decision-making process. Um, And um, U.S. investors, uh, especially in my experience, really value that. You know, it's a it's a big thing there. And so, with the production process, how did that go? How did it go actually building out the plant? Did it um, did it kind of go to plan? I mean, the the, the things that I've been involved with um, have generally the the advice I got once was it will take twice as long and cost twice as much yeah. as your as your best possible <laughs> estimate. Well, yeah, I mean, as, as the Sunfit consumers know, we missed our deadline a few times for launch. Um, yeah, no, it was it was. It was a. Um, it had very, it had a lot of unanticipated problems, uh, and yeah, it was it was quite a big learning curve for us as well. But um, I think ultimately you kind of have to believe there is always a solution, and you cannot be afraid to iterate. That's really important, and you have to get out of your head and respond to real time data. And so in my team. Uh, with my you know core engineers, that's something just in our blood. So if you don't have that, it's you know you would just end up end up giving up. Mm-hmm. So that's really important. And so yeah, the, the we we initially because we didn't have the funds, we couldn't build a production plant from scratch. So we had to kind of pull things together. So we leased a facility, um, and um, we leased some equipment that we needed, and then we built out our other equipment, which does the meat making part. And um, yeah, we just pretty much tried to build this big production line. And in the end, we did that. So when we launched, you know, it still wasn't like running properly, you know, doing production at full capacity or anything like that. It was still, we were still working on it. We were still making it better. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's been a journey. How did you launch into, did you launch into those big supermarket um, clients and, and big grocery clients straight away from the bat? How, how did... Um that, which you know is is it, but in and of itself, you know, companies are built on distribution. To get distribution into supermarkets is a huge achievement. How, how do you manage to make that happen? Yeah, it was. Uh, I I dealt with the uh, foodstuffs and progressives directly, and went in there and met the team and told them the product we had and cooked it up for them. Mm. Um, and I think once people actually see it cooked up and eat it, they get it because. Mm. Otherwise, it's a little bit of a hard sell. So while we are making something that can work exactly like chicken, we also want to make it better. So we want to take whatever limitations are there of chicken and make a better chicken. That's our goal. So one of the key things was that we're using pea protein and I wanted to keep the integrity of that plant um, all the way through into the product. So uh, it's made from yellow peas. So it's got a golden color. And I was like, nope, that's the color it is. It comes from its primary ingredient. We're not going to mess with it. Um, and uh, but that was one of the key things, like, you know, when you look at it, they're like, oh, would consumers buy it? It's not the same color. It doesn't look white. And I was like, Edelman, no, they'll get it. Mm. They'll get what we're trying to do. And it's yeah. pretty funny, like people are literally currently buying something that if they don't cook it enough, tries to kill them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you think they should be able to deal with like a little bit of a, a yellow tinge in it? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> with, with, the, with the golden color. I mean, um, and, and that's exactly what happened. So, you know, kudos to the supermarkets. They had this category breaking brand new product in front of them. They actually didn't know how it was going to go. Mm-hmm. 
they could see the grassroots movement because we had this massive grassroots movement of people, you know, waiting for the SunFed launch. But still, you know, they don't do category-breaking launches through supermarkets. They wait for the smaller stores to do it, yeah. get the data, and then... But yeah, no, so both of them were like, all right, Shama, here you go. And that, Here's some stores, go launch. Was that idea of going straight to the mainstream outlets always kind of baked yes. into the product and not being, a, you know, something interesting in the fridge or freezer of a already, um, you know, very conscious consumer store? Oh, 100%. We're a born global company. We want to uh, offer consumers a real choice for meat. And that means that you have to be where the mainstream consumers are. And that's the big retail supermarket chains. So yes, right from the get go, that's built into Sunfed. Um, You know, so we are are born global, global vision. We want to disrupt. And to do all of that, you know, you need you need to get the right distribution. And disruption, uh, <laughs> you, you know, like that that in, um, in definition means that the existing interests are going to be um, uh, upset, uh, you know, and uh, upset from their perch, but also maybe upset about an upstart coming in. And, you, you know, um, t- tell us a little bit about, were you surprised with the way that the chicken industry um, ha- ha- made a complaint against you for calling it chicken-free chicken? Oh, yeah. Uh, well, I appreciated the free publicity yeah. in hindsight. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, at the time, yeah, I was surprised. And uh, the language was actually quite aggressive. Um, and so such a big mammoth industry to go after a little startup like us, you know, felt a little bit like bully tactics. But the consumers came out in full support. And that was the most awesome thing. And well, actually, the most awesome thing was the puns. The people we're coming up with, you know, Sunfed is ruffling some feathers, you know, <laughs> rattling the cages. Oh, my favorite one was um, disrupting the pecking order. Yeah. I love it. That's cool. And, and I, I um, understand that that's still undergoing, uh, working its way through. <laughs> but yeah, it, it is a sign of what happens when you, you step into... Um, Step, step into an industry. And I, I guess the the next one that's probably on the way is beef. And so from the beginning, yes. you've started with, with chicken, but there's been this goal to go to go wider. Oh, yes, absolutely. So, so our R&D was actually concentrated on how to make uh, meat. So that's basically what we have built, this base technology where we take plant proteins and make meat out of it. And when I say meat, I mean structurally, it's similar. So you get the texture and in composition. So it's high protein, high moisture. Um, it's got some lipids, in, which is what meat is uh, in terms of composition. So that's, that's, how, that's what I mean there. Once you have the base tech, then to go into different forms of meat um, is sort of a natural progression from there. So the first product we did was chicken. And now we are, uh, we'll be launching our, the Sunfed beef product in August, September this year. So very exciting. Uh, so yeah, we've been iterating the prototypes and um, we feel pretty good about it. You know, yeah. What's that going to be like? Because the, the chicken is in the long, thin strips that mean yeah. that it's um, very easy to, to sub, you know, cut up bits of chicken. You don't have to cut up a chicken breast for a start uh, into your chicken dishes. Yeah. What, what about the beef? Yeah, so the chicken is in chunks with sort of... Um, you know, the, the long fleshy fibers. So the beef products, we're aiming to launch two beef products. One will be the beef chunks, so similar. So, you know, for your beef stir fries and other dishes, um, that will be really good. And the second one is going to be the beef burger. Mm. Yes. 
there's heaps of interest around the world on those burgers and there's recently been the launch of Beyond Beef here at a, um, a, a takeaway chain and um, the Linda McCartney patties have now arrived in the freezer and uh, the Impossible Burger is big news overseas and they all seem to have um, in, in common that they, they, they seem to aim to replicate blood. <laughs> like in yeah. the middle of them you have what's basically a raw patty and um, the yeah. Impossible Burger kind of bleeds for one of a um, better term. Um, is that something that you're, you're going through here? Well, yeah, so the burger will look like raw beef burger. Right. <clears throat> so it will. But uh, our difference always is that it's going to be a really clean ingredient deck. Mm. But also the texture. Now, um, a lot of the companies went with the burger first. Burgers to us are actually quite easy to make because we make it just like you would make uh, sort of an animal burger. We take this big fleshy meat that we make, we mince it, and we do whatever is necessary to make that burger patty. So, you know, so that's why the texture is really good. Um, sort of other companies in the space generally go backwards. They try to make a patty, they try to put things together. They try, so you, you never quite get the texture you're looking for. There's always still something missing the mark. So I've now set very high expectations. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, we think our our burger will have the 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 what consumers are expecting from sun sun fed, really really good meaty texture and very clean and healthy. And does it kind of um, you, you know in the pan does it sear and smell and caramelize kind of in in a way that kind of meat does as well? Hundred percent. So basically, that Maillard reaction you see on the pan is the protein interacting with the fat. So that's basically what's happening. Because the products we make naturally has very high protein. So even with the chicken, you'll notice, you know, you put it in oil, you know, um, it still browns really nicely. So, yeah, it's, it's, it, all our products will have that similar cooking experience. It just cooks faster. Um, so you don't have to, which is really convenient. And what's the kind of interest at the moment? Uh, so the investors that you have um, from around the world, are they wanting, um, you, you know, you say global from day one is the plan. Um, what's What are the next steps? Is it kind of using New Zealand as a test market to launch these products and then producing them here and sending them around the world or licensing the tech or having factories everywhere? <laughs> what, what's the, what, what would Sunfed look like in an ideal world in, in five years for you? Uh, yes. So, to be honest, if I was doing this in Silicon Valley, it'd be completely different. It'd be quite easy for me. Um, but, you know, both me and Hayden purposefully chose to do this in New Zealand. So, I very strongly think we need to get in this space and diversify ourselves. And I think we can do it really well. So, we have stayed true to the Kiwi ethos. We've put a product on the global market that when compared to other products... Um, is a better quality of protein uh, that, that, you know, so it still retains that clean, green, um, high quality food that uh, New Zealand products are known for. Uh, so what we're trying to build now is just like any tech company, you go through various stages, you do your R&D, you sort of have um, a breakthrough and you create a pilot scale sort of commercialization, which is what we've done at pilot scale, and then you start upscaling it. Um, you know, for us, the upscale process is is hard work. It's a 12-month project of building up a much larger production plan with the much bigger machines, but it'll also give us bigger capacity. Mm. Uh, and so we are focused on building that in New Zealand. 
So I see that production plant as sort of the ingenuity hub for Sunfair. This is where the new products come out of. This is where all the R&D happens. Um, but yes, we're a born global company. So once that production plant is up and running, then, you know, we can copy and paste that anywhere in the world um, where it makes sense, you know. So, yeah, the the, the optionality around expansion um, really diversifies from there onwards. We can also do IP licensing if we wanted. Uh, but yeah, the Sunfed brand's really strong. We get very strong brand engagement. Um, I mean, our launch video went viral. <laughs> so, I mean, 12 million views in a very short amount of time was insane. Uh, and so, yeah, so we built this strong Kiwi brand that global audiences are resonating with. Um, and we just get this flood of messages every day, people asking for the product when it will be available. In, in other countries? In around, other yeah, countries, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. In other countries, a lot of engagement from Australia, from US, where people think there's already products there, but there's nothing like Sunfed. Um, you know, and in uh, the UK as well, you know, so in, so Europe, US, Australia, I mean, these are all markets we want to enter as well as China. Uh, so, yes, as soon as the scale up is done um, from there onwards, we will decide which markets we export to, which markets we go off and set up production plants in. Um, and initially, we can also export to certain markets until we set the production plant up there. Yeah. And what amongst all of this, what keeps you up at night? What are the things that, you know, you wish could move faster or what? what, what, what yeah. yeah, this is something I had to learn. I don't think I'm very good at it. Mm-hmm. Um, the patience around getting hardware built uh, is, I, I'm still not very good at it. So, you know, like setting up this production plant, you, you know, we we are pretty much getting a um, a building built from scratch. You know, and we're setting up everything in it and, and food grade, you know, export certified to those very high levels. Um, and it's a it's a pretty long process to get the production plant built itself. And then we're getting our big machines built, mm-hmm. uh, which is another time consuming process because these things take machine time. They've got all these intricate parts in them. It just takes time. And investing ahead of demand. And cash, invest- flow, cash flow intensive. Exactly right, which is why we have to, uh, you know, raise raise funds to do all of this. Exactly right. Um, but, you know, the the um, the case for it is, is pretty straightforward. So, you know, with, with an amount of money, we get this up and running, but the um, capacity is quite massive. You know, so once this scale up is done, we're away. Mm-hmm. That's your exponential expansion. And so it's pretty exciting. And the pea protein, that um, it takes uh, quite big economies of scale to grow, doesn't it? Is that something that could be brought into New Zealand? Because we, we, do we grow yellow pea here? Not quite. Uh, so Canada is currently the largest producer of pulses. Um, so actually for Sunfed, we purposefully chose pulses. Um, so I'm actually in love with yellow peas and other pulses. I think they're the best environmentally sustainable crops you can grow. Um, they actually leave, they nourish the soil so they're used in crop rotations. They leave the soil net positive, uh, nitrogen fixing, uh, don't need fertilizer, will be really good for our rivers, right? right. So, so really, really good crop to grow. But yes, currently in New Zealand, we do not quite have the yellow pea industry. Um, and we do not have the uh, scale, like you're saying. So Canada has obviously the scale. And it is a bit commoditized. So how does New Zealand compete against that? So my vision is, um, now going back to Tesla, and um, what they're doing is they're creating a very popular uh, consumer product, and then off the back of that, they're building the supply chain backwards. And so the gigafactory kicks in and everything else, right? Um, so it's funding that that whole build. So we're trying to do something similar. We've got a popular product now in the market, 
And um, as we scale and, and grow that, we want to put the capital back into that supply chain. So we want to build the pea protein infrastructure in New Zealand. Now, that is a massive project, mm. uh, and we are going to need help on that, to be honest. But just something I think we need to do. Uh, and go all the way back to farmers. So we can have an industry where you're growing yellow peas, um, getting the pea protein and creating value-added products. You know, so it's no longer that commoditized. You are adding value to it along the way. And we can do it in a way that's better than others, um, where people want to buy the pea protein from New Zealand. Mm, and, yeah. and, and in a way that um, offsets some of the very resource-intensive ways that we're creating protein in our country. Yeah, and that's what I was saying earlier. Um, I think there's three kinds of systems in the world. Uh, one which, as it grows, it takes and sort of exploits and de-energizes or drains its surroundings. And I call it a, a cancerous system. Get a bit bumming out. But that's what I call that system. The second system is one that whatever it takes, it gives. Uh, quite quite balanced, and I call it a sustainable system. But there's a third way, which is that as it grows, it gives and aids and nourishes, um, and I call that an empowering system. Uh, and so currently meat, unfortunately, is the first. It's just no longer sustainable. The more we scale, the worse it's getting for everyone. So we have to shift. So how do you shift that system to an empowering one? Like, can you actually build a system that as it scales, is actually good? You know, and to date, the norm has been said that, nope, as you scale, you exploit. But I actually think you can. And that's what Sunfed is all about. Um, and so that's why at every single point that we're building, we want to add value, you know, uh, all the way. And and, um, and that's why I'm really excited about the, the yellow peas we're using, because those croppings, nourish the soil. It doesn't exploit the soil. It doesn't take it away from it. Um, and in all the ways where we use water-based um, sort of production and um, when it ends up with the consumer, again, we are hoping to provide them with something that is better. Uh, and so, yeah, so that's our ethos, an empowering system. Well, thank you so much. Uh, that's Sharma Lee, the CEO and founder of Sunfed Meats. Uh, keep an eye out for the beef products uh, hitting the world soon. Uh, wonderful product and wonderful story. Thank you so much for sharing it. My pleasure. You've been listening to Business is Boring, presented by Simon Pound. And brought to you by The Spin-Off and Callahan Innovation. From the Spin-Off Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring, brought to you by SparkLab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.